speak to you. This is, I think, the first time we've got two books to plug at the same time. Yes, it, uh, it wasn't meant to be that way, but uh, Brexit did me in for the first book, stranded there for a couple of months, so uh, they've come, come, to, come like London buses. Indeed. Wouldn't uh, it be sad if um, London buses did actually come at one at once, but... Uh, I we yeah. live quite near Watford is quite near the TFL region, so it is the case that buses just get stuck behind one another. But uh, I don't know what it's um, like in Exeter. My dad, for his shame, said to me, "Don't apply to read classics at Exeter University. It's hard to get to." Oh, it's a shame. But there's always that perception. The same with the footballers in our club that you know that this isn't the place you want to have your career. But it's such a lovely place. It's the only place we we lived abroad for twenty years. It's the only place we've come back to. We really love it. Matt Riley is the author of two books, Kit and Caboodle, which is about sociology in the football shirt, and Her Game 2, A Manifesto for Change, out on October 24th. I've got a killer first question, but I'm going to wait because I wanted to talk to you about Harrow School because I, I, did, uh, I went to a prep school in Harrow, Quainton Hall, and the prep schools from around the area uh, all convened at Harrow School to do the prep oh. school's music afternoon. So I've played in the Great Hall at Harrow School, which is great oh. for orchestras. But you were director of marketing at Harrow School, Bangkok. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a, a licensing agreement. I still say we after all these years, John. It's really strange. Uh, but we had, there was a licensing agreement, and um, the school opened when I first went there in 2000 or so, um, and then it became Harrow Asia. So... As we speak, this Harrow Bangkok was the, the first foreign school, then Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and then there's now one since I've left. There's now one in Japan. So it was uh, yeah, we were kind of one step removed from Harrow, but it was still you know we had the Harrow governors coming over. Our poor kids had to wear boaters and blazers in 40 degrees of heat. <laughs> um, so it was a really interesting time. I was there for well, we were in Thailand for 16 years in total. Excellent. Uh, and we will we will talk Thai. I just also wanted to mention that I found out that Jamie Carragher's son, James, who's currently a pro, uh, went to school at Merchant Tailors in Crosby up in Liverpool, which is the sister school uh, set up by the Merchant Tailors Company. And I went to the one in Moore Park, which used to be in Charterhouse Square. Uh, so, yes, I went to private school. I couldn't do anything about it, Gov. I mean... Uh, Mum and Dad did say, do you want to go to Watford Grammar? Do you want us to put you down for Watford Grammar? But for some reason, my mind had internalised that Merchant Tailors was a good school. There's something in the newspaper this morning, October 10, which talks about how private schooling is... The best thing about private schooling is the network. Can you confirm Mm. or deny this? Mm. They definitely confirm. And that was a big driver for Harrow Asia because we we had the Prime Minister, we had the Chief of Police, we had... Uh, the CEO of Toshiba, and a lot of the things the parents were buying into was to access this network for future for future growth. And that's a lot of that at Exeter Uni as well. You know, I'm on the on the main campus, Stratford, not uh, not where J.K. Rowling went at uh, St. Luke's, um, but a lot of it was networking. That was that was explicitly or implicitly implied, but explicitly uh, pursued. I I know Harry Cole, who is the political editor of the Sun, and currently. Uh, waiting to publish his book about Liz Truss. There is such a thing as being too cosy. But I also know Nick Erdley. Uh, I have a fun story that I I will tell. I was working for the Journal in Edinburgh, which is a student paper, and I was the sport editor, and I was told, copy can't come in on Sundays. And I got asked, can Nick Erdley go to Hearts Against Hibs? Can you create some pagination for him? And I thought, no, 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 it's not one rule for them, one rule for us. This is ludicrous. Um, Nick Erdley is now, you may or may not know, uh, I think the chief political correspondent now 
uh, for the BBC. Ah. So all of that just means that Edinburgh University was a place that people who went on to do great things have Uh gone. Have you taught anyone? I know you've only been back in Exeter for six years or so and there's been a pandemic. Uh, But Uh are you familiar with um, graduates going on to great things from Exeter? teaching mostly uh, uh, because I'm teaching business management and marketing a large majority of my students are Asian uh, particularly Chinese because obviously there's a very big push for, for that, that kind of subject so that I'd say about 60% of my students will will either will one or two will stay but most will go back to, to mainland China but do any do any of them support Exeter City we do get one or two. I managed to build in, into a curriculum a, few, a couple of years, well, I say two, two plus COVID years, uh, where they actually visited and they were asked to do a marketing uh, project for the club. So the, the club has actually sold some land behind the big bank where I stand uh, to the university for accommodation. So there is a Grecian society, and I, I help them out when I can. Um, but it's, uh, it's easy to give tickets away, but it's hard to actually get them to come um, with their hangovers to the stadium. <laughs> for shame. Um, Exeter City, written about by Jim Keoghan in his book Punk Football. We've known that Exeter is at the vanguard of fan ownership, the great Steve Perryman and the even greater Paul Tidsdale. Did you get back uh, for the reign of Tidsdale or had Tidsdale gone by the time you came back to the UK? It was starting to end. When I came back, There were we, we would come back for the summers and Christmas, so i go to the games then. Um, now it's easy to get older, but... It was things were starting to go a little bit, turn a little bit sour with uh, with Tiz uh, by the time we got back, and it's a shame sort of how it ended really. But uh, I saw him. I went to Wembley. One of the three failures. I went twice actually to see his team uh, beaten in the uh, playoffs finals. And yeah, so I sort of caught the end of his reign really. Well, you couldn't go to the twenty twenty playoff. Was it seventeen, eighteen, and twenty? Yes, that's right. I went. I went in cardboard form. <laughs> yes. Oh, wonderful. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> We had, we, had, we had a reasonable support, uh, but none of us were, uh, were animate. We mm. were all cardboard-based. Well, some fans would love even cardboard support these days. Uh, Matt Taylor has just leapt up to become manager uh, of Rotherham after taking Exeter uh, City up. I'm not going to open that wound, but uh, Rotherham had looked after Paul Warren. Do you think they'll look after, A, Matt Taylor, and do you foresee an exodus of Exeter players to the Northwest uh, yeah. in January? Well, yes and yes, really. I do worry about the exodus of not only players, but coaches. I mean, we would have lost our goalkeeping coach, but he stayed because he's actually under contract as a player. Yes, I saw that. We yes. Got, yes, we were lucky. Because <laughs> show you how many funds we've got. He trains the player. He trains our goalie, Jamal Blackman, and then he goes straight onto the bench ready to play himself. There's, there's not many League One teams that have got that. But we've got um, particularly Giovanni Brown, who could easily play in the championship. And owes an awful lot to Matt Taylor, and I do worry. I was chanting it to uh, Giovanni last weekend at the at the women's game at St James's Park, and just saying, you know, look at the fact the team's built around you. But you know, he's twenty seven. He's got maybe one or two more contracts left. We'd we'd be so sad, but we'd understand if he wanted, you know, one mm. chance of championship. Because I mean, he was released by Colchester two years ago, and in, in, when they were in League Two, so you know, his career's just had a massive turnaround. He's such a wonderful player. So, yeah, I'm afraid so. Uh, there is going to be an exodus because we can't play pay big wages. We never have and we never will as a, as a trust club. Um, and look at one or two of the other players, Alex Hartridge. You know, we lost one of our coaches to Liverpool a couple of months ago. So we've become a bit of a, a, bit of a nursery, I'm afraid, uh, Jonathan. Josh Stone 
has got a new album yeah. out, which is pretty uh, good. I I uh, know that she she probably still gets Soul Sessions money. She's I mentioned her because she's a, a trust member. Yeah, um, yeah. Can you tap in the kind of high net worth individuals, or is the whole point of Exeter City Supporters Trust that you don't have high net worth individuals? You have passionate Devonians. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it would be different. I mean, Possible but difficult. The only way would that someone would buy a single share like I have, but pay a, an extortionate amount of money or a large amount of money. Um, so yeah, there are there are ways. Like we're we're doing a campaign at the moment called Kit Out the Cliff, where we're trying to. We've got a new building thanks to the Ollie Watkins money at the training center, at the training center, and so we're all trying to raise money in a kind of charitable way. There are financial gifts, like as you might know, the money from my first book is going to City Women. So there's ways that we can do it, but this kind of one high net worth individual would probably great with a lot of our with a lot of our fans who, because we're a trust, you know, they've they've got the power, which you know, I think is fantastic. To be yeah. Honest. One one thing I did notice is that you've changed chairman every. I don't know if to keep it fresh, but Nick Hawker is mm. the chairman at the mm. moment. Uh, mm. Was he voted in or elected unopposed? How does it work electing the chairman? He was voted in. Yep, he was voted in. He's done an awful lot of years and done tremendous things for the city, as as all of them have. So yeah, we've got a we we're just about to have another trust election. Actually, I think the uh, the uh, nominations had to be in a week or two ago. Um, I was sorely tempted, but my wife advised against it because <laughs> I spent too much time at the club. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it is it is an election, um, and there's there's a good amount of competition actually, which is really nice. We've had. We've got a guy called John Beer who's now working with uh, David Earls on a fantastic podcast about City called My New Football Club. And he was on the board in, at only sort of nineteen twenty. So there's a really nice range of people. Um, it tends to be older because they have the time and because we, they won't won't be paid. Most of them won't be in a paid capacity. But uh, there's a really nice kind of mixture of people that uh, have really got the club at heart. They don't just pretend they're kissing the badge. They actually do properly love the club. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant community asset, and I think you and Accrington that would be the nice club, Derby. I mean, yes. Brentford and Brighton are, are high up there, but I think the yeah. more the more that one appreciates what football is, it's the Gareth Southgate's. I love the game. I hate the industry. Uh, Exeter yeah. City is a bastion. Uh, Twenty years next year, the supporters trust. Will there be some kind of celebration dinner? Will Ollie Watkins show up and do some tricks? Oh. We can hope. We can hope. I think what well, the big celebration I hope will be that we fully kitted out the the new buildings at the training centre because we had porter cabins for <laughs> about thirty years, and um, thanks to the latest tranche of Ollie Watkins' money, you know we've really upgraded it. So my my guess is, although we've really um, done up what we call the heritage lounge, the VIP lounge, but my guess is it will be focused at the the training ground to really show off, you know, the facilities that we got, which hopefully will attract players, you know. We've, we've kind of saved the careers of people like our goalie, Jamal Blackman, you know, started Chelsea, but his, his, his career was kind of um, bumpy to say the least. We've got lots of players that owe a lot to us. And, and of course, Ollie Watkins, Ethan Ampadu, so many new players, so many players through the years that without City, they wouldn't have had that, uh, that, that turbo boost to their careers. Yeah, Ollie Watkins, for those who don't know, Exeter City 2014 to 2017. His last match was the playoff final. Exeter get money every time he plays for England. I think it's something like, did you say £75,000 if he starts and thirty seven and a half if he's on the bench? Ethan Ampadu played eight times and is going to the World Cup with Wales. Do you get, as a 15-year-old, did you get any money from Ampadu from his oh. Welsh appearances? Hey, you've hit a nerve, Jonathan. Yes, we did. We got well, around about 1.2 million. But I, if you look at the two players and the way that 
Ollie Watkins and Brentford behaved and the way that Chelsea behaved, you couldn't see a more disparate approach. Uh, our our chairman was really, really disappointed the way that Chelsea treated us. Um, Ethan had been there from the very beginning since sort of eight or nine years old. We got pennies to the pound. We were really disappointed with that because we've got the Adam Stansfield stand that's financed by Ollie Watkins' money, the upgrade to the, um, to the training facilities and also having running costs that the Ollie Watkins' money has got, not just for England, but when, he's, when he went from Brentford to Villa, there was another tranche of money. So it was very, very disappointing. I know Julian, uh, Julian Tagg was, was very unhappy with the way he was treated when he went to London to negotiate because I saw both those players play. And for me, as much as I love Ollie, Ethan was extraordinary at 15. I've never seen anything like it. The, the football knowledge at 15 was just, just astonishing. I just couldn't, see, couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then you look at his career now and he's just farmed off here, farmed off there. And it's, it's such a disappointment, Jonathan, because if they'd have treated us the way that Brentford treated us, you know, we, we'd be happy to keep working with them. It's uh, really disappointing. I don't know why Watford didn't go in for Ampadu. He lives locally. He's going to the World Cup. I don't know what he liked. He dislikes about a team that sacks its manager every four months. So by the time this goes out, Slavin Bilic might have walked away with a payoff. This is yes, this know. is completely different to what Exeter City was, which was Paul Tisdale yeah. in his hat and Steve Perryman with his now. So mm-hmm. I've had... Adam Powley in here very, very early on to talk about Steve Perryman. He co-wrote his book. Um, so I've always admired what Exeter have done. Uh, you mentioned Adam Stansfield, the, the story of Jay, uh, the son of Stano. Um, wow. Have you asked Jay how he feels about the song that is sung in honour of his late father? And you should say that because um, I am a, a terrible planner, as in I plan too much. And I've actually written the first chapter for a second kit and caboodle. And I interviewed uh, Stano's mum and dad, um, Gig and Rog, um, and they were they were they were so nice. It turned out they lived down the road from me, and I'm actually wearing a, uh, a, a Adam Stansfield Foundation uh, bracelet, bracelet at the moment. But I haven't spoken to Jay directly, just his his gran and granddad. And but the way that he speaks about it to the club is he's incredibly proud with that song. I mean, I, I remember that when he came on for his first game, ten minutes before the end for City. My goodness, there were a lot of onions being cut on the big bank, yeah. I can tell you. My goodness. It was such a powerful thing. Well, it must have been powerful uh, this weekend just gone where he scored at Barnsley a couple of times. Yes, I mean, it sounds strange, but I almost had mixed feelings. I was so jealous of those 400 City fans seeing that first goal because, you know, obviously, as a season ticket holder, I never miss a home game, but that was just too far to go. And I, we went, my wife and I went to the City women game, which, by the way, got 2,600 fans, which is wow. amazing. Um, and you look at the, you know, compare that to the WSL, and it was a wonderful game. They beat Bournemouth three one. But the there was not mixed feelings, probably a bit harsh. But I just thought I wish I was one of you guys because we've been willing him. Even when he, he set up a goal against Forest Green for Giovanni, um, we were shouting Stano, Stano, because we we just willed him over the line. We could see he's just been kind of almost tra- trying too hard. You know, just like overrunning the ball. He had a chance to score a goal three weeks ago. He just misplaced it. And we know he's better than that. And now he's calmed down. He's just going to fly. But, oh, Jonathan, he's just, this is this is the real stuff. And the way that it was described on Sky Sports, I mean, it was just wonderful. It was poetic, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you, you said, in fact, you told that these Football Times Mount Rushmore collection that Adam Stansfield, Stano, wore his heart on his sleeve. He wasn't brilliant, but he did get oh. Exeter out of non-league. Um 
Uh, uh, Jay Stansfield is coming through Fulham and that great academy. Do you foresee uh, he's played youth level at England? But what is his level? Good championship? I would say so. I mean, obviously, I love him to bits. I can understand why he's at Fulham, but he's he's got tremendous pace. He's a he's a real dogged player. He's great tracking back. I don't know if he's quite got that X factor that you need in the Premier League, but certainly in the Championship. And uh, ideally, obviously, at Exeter City, but we understand we can't afford him. But um, it just feels like we're just living this wonderful period of time when we can just enjoy him and kind of uh, cradle him. Because, you know, we see the players a lot. You know, I was, as I say, I spent the afternoon with Giovanni, with my wife last week. Before the game, they're all friendly. You see them around the city. This is not like these kind of um, corporations that play that circle each other in the Premier League. These are sort of real down-to-earth people that uh, um, like a drink every now and again. And, and uh, one of the fans, many of them, particularly uh, Pierre Sweeney, our captain, you know, he's he, he, you just wouldn't even think he was a footballer when he's off the pitch, but he's wonderful when he's on it. I'm just having a look at when Exeter against Accrington is. It isn't ball-like to get to either of those fixtures. Oh. Um, but okay. I can... Oh, you, you, it was the fixture in Accrington... Um, in August, goalless, and it's March, so around Easter is the home game. But um, Andy Holt talks a lot of sense. I think Andy would love a copy of this book, Kit and Caboodle. Twenty the seed of this idea for this book. It's a funny one, really, John, because it started off with this idea of the sort of cultural views of kits, and then I started looking at the designs of kits, and I realised that there there are people who are far better than me at analysing every design feature. Then a few stories started to come, particularly the one about Tromso in, in Norway. I got in touch with the club and looked at what they'd done for putting a QR code design and uh, highlighting the amnesty report. And then that took me through to looking at Haaland and the other Norwegian players that use their kits to highlight human rights abuses. And, and then it all sort of took off. thought about the, the teams that have got colours of Ukraine. Then I looked at people. Um, I've just actually started talking to a group called One for the Lads that supports mental health, because obviously today is World Mental Health Day. And then it just kind of evolved from there, really, Jonathan. I was thinking, we kind of set, one of the things I said in the book was, we set our life's journey against the kits. And I love the way that people who collect kits and like kits are patronised and passed on head and seen as kind of emotionally stunted, when really, kits just say so much about ourselves and our society. And and then a couple of stories, because I worked in Thai football for six years, and a couple of stories from Thailand and and then it went from there, and now I think I'm 30,000 words into a, to a second book. We have some <laughs> lovely, lovely stuff from this, this club called Nairn County who, who designed a kit for, a, for one of their fans who died of cancer, and his mum was raising money for it, and then she died of cancer. And then they, they changed the kit, so it was a combination of her favourite dress and her son's favourite picture, and they've, they've given me all the design moments and all of the story, and it's just wonderful, Jonathan. So, yeah, it just kind of it took off, and I just thought, this hasn't really been thought of before. It's been thought of in terms of what makes a good or a bad kit, a fashionable or unfashionable kit. But then there's so much more to it. And, um, yeah, and then I just thought, this, this sounds interesting. Pitch team were, were very interested as well. And away we went. My friend Kieran, uh, who worked in Qatar for a year, pulling in the plumbing. So if, if the water runs smoothly at this World Cup, this godforsaken World Cup, it's because of Kieran, my friend. But um, he also uh, spent time involved because he worked for a major engineering consultancy uh, he was involved in water aid and i imagine water aid has a big footprint in malawi yes well i grew up yeah, yeah. yes indeed in fact my my dad's job was to 
to work with micro micro loans for people looking to improve the quality of their water oh, and fair, the quality right. of their life in general. And I, I couldn't imagine grow, growing up with the deprivations in, in a developing world country. But uh, mm. are there, for the purposes of this chat, um, mm. are there any Malawian football kits in the book? There aren't, actually. That's a good point. I do have a Malawian Olympic shirt that I bought a while ago, but I really should do that. I, I love the design. Some of it's a little bit outlandish because the, the shirts that I've seen, first of all, are far too skin tight for a 54-year-old man <laughs> of my uh, yes. size. But also, they're, they're, they are very, let's say, vibrant. But you've given me an idea there. I'd love to do that because we were there for... Well, seven years, and um, I have very happy memories. Obviously, there was a lot of Dr. Bander and his uh, murderous regime. wasn't great, but um, it was a wonderful country to grow up in. Lovely people. Yes, you give me the gem of an idea there. Excellent. Malawi well, shirts. Delighted to help. Our Kieran brought me a, a <laughs> Colombian football shirt and also a Tanzania football shirt. So I'm not a football shirt collector. I remember going into opposite the Rough Trade Shop. There was classic oh, football yeah. shirts. They had a shop yeah. there on Brick Lane, uh, and I kind uh, of nodded through it, but I could see where the enthusiasm for people who fetishise the shirt. I never do, and I think it's because when I was eight, I had a Spurs shirt, an Arsenal shirt, and a Man United shirt. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I'm never... I have a Watford shirt because it was cheap, but I yeah. never wear football shirts. I wear it at Halloween. I used to say, I'm, I've come as Troy Deeney. He's scarily good at scoring goals. But yes, I, yeah, I, I yeah. must come as... Well, so's Giovanni Brown, by the way. He scored a hat-trick the other week against Forrest Green in another one of these nice derbies that yeah. fill the lower leagues. Dale Vince, yeah. perhaps, would love this book, Kit and Caboodle, uh, which is available. Where do yeah. people get it? Um, the, usual, the usual suspects, Amazon and so on, but I really like to promote Hive.co.uk because a percentage of the sales go to uh, local independent bookstores here where I live in Exmouth. Our local independent bookstore closed down. Is closing down this week. So yeah, Amazon, uh, Waterstones, WH Smith, but particularly as I say, Hive.co.uk, uh, because that that supports independent bookstores. And it's just as uh, the price is very competitive as well. It's about seventeen, eighteen pounds. And uh, as I say all royalties go to Exodus City Women. My wife and I are um, season ticket holders, and we sponsor one of the uh, one of the players who's called Zoe Watkins, and she she plays like Ollie Watkins uh, when he was scoring goals. Which division are the women in? So they are in the Division One Southwest. So essentially, that is level four. It's a little tricky because you've got Cardiff City, who were in the level above, that have come down and are way, way better than most of the other teams. They actually beat Exeter City five nil two weeks ago. So generally competitive, getting much stronger as well. We had another two teams come in this season, um, but we get you know we get two hundred, two hundred and fifty fans for a league game. Obviously, the girls are all working full time. But they're, they're very well coached, and the club have brought them into the centre of everything they do, which is yet another reason to be proud to uh, support Exeter City. Here, here. I've been to watch Watford Women several times this season. Watford dropped. Mm. Do you remember this? On the very, very last kick of the season, Watford got relegated oh, yes. into the third tier. Uh, oh. I think it, it went uh, unmentioned because of what was going on with Roy Hodgson at the time. But oh, no, Watford oh. are too good for this division. There's uh, Gemma Davison, ex England. Helen Ward, wow. who uh, t- tonight, as we is it Monday today? Uh, <laughs> lost, I've lost yeah. what day it is. Uh, we, we're talking on the tenth of, of October, but uh, Wales yeah. may well have advanced to the final playoff match with Helen Ward uh, and is her name Morgan Rogers, uh, who's the defender. So we've got a couple yeah. of Welsh internationals in our team, but 
uh, far too good for the division. And is that the one that Cardiff came down from? The Yes, and that, again, that, that is an issue. I mean, they really are exceptional. City beat Bournemouth 3-1. Southampton is always competitive, but not that kind of change, that different uh, level. And there's only one club going up as well. So we're, we're, at the moment, we're caught between two stools. It, I, I do, I am concerned, particularly the, the Women's Super League down to the Championship. You know, I hope there's not going to be the same overheating problems in women's football that, that we've seen in men's and that kind of cliff edge that uh, Kieran Maguire talks about, of, you know, landing from one league down and you're in a financially parlour state. Yeah, so we found that out with Coventry the other season and when Donny uh, Bells were basically evicted, it was it was horrible. Not as horrible as Leanne Sanderson being left out of the FA's uh, oh, invitation gosh. or indeed the nonsense that everyone has forgotten. Ev- and, and you haven't because you've written a book called Her Game 2, A Manifesto for Change. Everyone's forgotten Phil Neville, Mark Sampson, Eniola Aluko, and if you've read Eni's book... Um, uh, it is quite horrific. Uh, and indeed, uh, the fact that the FA banned women from playing for 50 years. But uh, enough of that, because we beat the USA, we're going to win the World Cup. We're the best. We've, we've hired an ex, we've a foreign coach, and we've, we're paying women, and that's what makes the woman good. So here's my killer question, Matt Riley, which yeah. I was training about 25 minutes ago. How much of it is money and marketing, and how much of it is actually football that makes women's well, football change? Yeah, well, speaking as a man who teaches marketing, I would say that it has to be driven by marketing because it doesn't matter how good your product is, people need to be able to see it and experience it. Um, the quality is rising unbelievably exponentially, but again, not having it in the um, shop window is going to uh, reduce its uh, development. So I feel like they're doing well now. I do think this question of who's going to oversee everything, whether it's the FA, whether it's heaven forbid, FIFA or UEFA, um, that for me is the next big decision to be made. But uh, from what I'm seeing at the moment, you know, getting back to that Coventry United thing, I mean, that was, that was, I think, Christmas Eve when they found out they hadn't got a job anymore. You know, these are stories that just, we shouldn't be talking about things like this with where women's football is now. So good, a good bit of marketing, but there's plenty of content there now. Um, I was reading something from Gabby Logan, now, not the part about Richard Keats, you'll be glad to know, but... Um, I was reading the Gabby Logan saying that when she did the, I think it was 2007 Women's World Cup, she knew that she was essentially promoting something that wasn't quite there yet. But for me, I mean, you look at those Euros, my goodness me, there's so many high quality games, so much tactically aware play, you know, great fitness. And I feel like we're, you know, we're in a really good position. Our women's football is in such a good position now. Um, and then the kind of um, people sitting in their underpants, hating on it can just carry on and, um, Wait for their moms to make their teas. I have just read something in Nihal Athanayaka's book, Let's Talk, and mm-hmm. admittedly it's about the Northern Ireland peace process and Mary McAleese's work in, in the Fenna Fail. Uh, what the, the key is, is to start with the more malleable people and then work your way towards the extremes. The extremist mm. people, and I'm by the way, I'm not comparing the Irish Republican Army to people who tell women to get back in the kitchen and send horrible things to Alex Scott, even when she didn't get the question of sport job. The whole point is that if you're young or if you've got a family, going to the women's game, as 431 people did when Mm. Watford beat uh, Plymouth 5-1 just yesterday. That makes us happy as an extra fan. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, And they they used the first team uh, coach as well. It was a fab game. Watford ladies... Mm. Is a, it's, they are growing the sport, and I've been to women's games for f- the last since about the World Cup 2015. 
when I stayed up to watch. It'll be a challenge to stay up to watch the next Women's World Cup. I should ask if you're going out there because you must have friends in the Antipodes. Yes, we have. We've got family, actually, but uh, I, I wish, I hope. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be a big, big challenge. We kind of we spent all those years going backwards and forwards from Bangkok. And we kind of, even after all these years, we're wearied by those massive long journeys. It sounds strange when you're just sitting down for 12 hours, or in this case, well, it's 20 hours or so. But um, I will be working on it, but I'm, I'm not confident at the moment, I have to say. No. Well, uh, the World Cup is next summer. Summer, not winter. Uh, it's the Women's yeah. World Cup. America should win, unless uh, uh, the horrible collapse. But Australia, New Zealand are good teams. Canada, with their English manager. Uh, but England will do fine. We've got a, a really good team ethic going on. But more than anything, the Her Game 2 project, I've been following what's been going on in the last, is it year and a half? Didn't it start for the FA yes. Cup? yeah. Last year. So when did you hop on the Her Game 2 train? Well, it's really strange, actually, Jonathan, because it just happened that um, City were playing uh, Bristol Rovers and Kaz and Lucy, who started Her Game 2, uh, came along to the game and they did a presentation at half-time. I got a chance to have a chat to them and I was just so inspired by the way that they're so strident about, the you know, they get horrific, horrific abuse. And they decided, well, we're not putting up with this. We're going to walk through that and move on. So I started to get to know them. Very kindly invited me to their first uh, birthday party up in Birmingham. They've had Callum Best really helping them. And he was really, really positive now taking over at Dorking, uh, Dorking Women or Dorking Ladies, as they call it. Um, so really, it, was, it would be around about a year ago, I think, when the beginning of the season, when, uh, uh, when City were 4-0 up after 25 minutes against Bristol Rovers. I remember that very clearly. Um, and I just thought these two women, um, they're just unbelievable. And I, I got to meet some of the other people that set it up, 12 people that set it up. And then I just looked at what they've done, what they're trying to do. And of course, that big explosion when Everton and Leeds and Brentford all partnered with them. It's just been uh, absolutely amazing. I'm so impressed with them. I'm so proud of them because, you know, the, the abuse is just astonishing. You're just thinking, because of their chromosomes? I don't quite get it. It's like they're not allowed to play football in 2022, not in Iran, but in, in the UK. Um, so, yeah, and I, more, more people I spoke to, I met some lovely people I interviewed, Chris Hall from Nationwide and Helen Quacho, who uh, is a football coach out in Northern Europe. Uh, and I, it just sort of kind of went from there and then chat to, uh, to uh, Callum as well with one of the chapters. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to do them justice. And um, I hope it's something that, and Tracy was lovely as well. Tracy Crouch, she's such a nice person. Uh, she did a really nice forward for me as well. So I'm hoping it's something that will just basically review their progress so far and be a launch pad for, for their future. Here, here, the book is out on October 24th, priced 14 It's a manifesto uh-huh. for change. Not were manifesto. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't go that route. I thought I didn't know how Tracy feel about that one, but uh, I, t- I take your point. But uh, I wanted what I did was there are eleven key points in their in their sort of mission statement, if you like, and I used most of those for a chapter. And it's been ten years since Keys and Gray were kicked out of Sky, uh, so I did a chapter about that, which is quite interesting. And uh, there's, um, but yeah, not a woman manifesto. No, I decided against that one. But, so that, there's, there's maybe the second one. <laughs> um. One thing that I've been thinking about is who's who owns the football club, and especially for uh, Watford fans. Sorry to bang on about Watford, but um, Watford Women fans Watford went amazing, to... by the way. Wow, was they called? Women of Watford. I was doing some research early on. They're a really impressive group of people that have probably been one of the big engines for development of Watford. 
we're very good at community. If if we were uh, as good at staying loyal to people who were appointed manager in August and then sacked them at the first point of difficulty, first pinch point. But yes, Kate Lewis is in charge of Women of Watford and Franny Lynn, Francis, uh, has been one of those football fans. She was supporter of the season a few seasons ago. She goes to everything. She gets what the club is and uh, she's one of the key fans. But if you go every week, you won't necessarily know the fan like Kate Lewis or even her brother Andy. Andy Lewis is very upset at the moment and Andy's uh, like, I call him like a professional Watford fan. And Andy even said, I don't know what to make of this club. We went to Blackpool. It was 1-1, then it was 3-1, and then fans turned on each other. So I think the problem, and come at this from the angle of someone who watches Exeter City Woman, the Grecian S's, as they're not called, quite rightly. Um, and you've got some good... you got copyright these, John. You really have to join copyrights with each other. That's... If only I could. Um, that, I'll, I'll use your marketing now, so I'll go into business with you. Um, but... There is a difficulty in how much people are spending to watch the men Uh, and how disappointing it is and how much of a waste of money it is. uh, And this is is already a long question, but can you see comparisons in the nature of tertiary education and uh, the nature of men's football nowadays, where the fan is the customer or the student is the customer? Yes, I mean, uh, talking as a man who teaches students particularly the, uh, the foreign students who are paying double the uh, amount that uh, our home-based students pay, I can definitely see that situation where it's just getting harder and harder to justify it. If you, if you see tertiary education as an investment for your children, the return on investment seems to become becoming less and less attractive to people and the, and the enormous amounts of debt that, you know, of course, they wouldn't call it debt. They say student loan and whatever else, but um, I can see that. And again, with football... You look at some of the prices that are paid, even at you know League One level, particularly for away fans. It's such a huge amount of money in these dark times that uh, yes, I can definitely see it. And at a city, we try and keep the prices down. Uh, my season ticket works out at round about. If I go to every game, works out about seventeen, eighteen pounds Brilliant. to stand on the terraces, which is you know which is good by comparison. But it's all the sundries, isn't it? It's the cost of the petrol to get the car to get to the games. If you're going on this, particularly if you're Exeter or Plymouth. Um, you've got massive journeys to uh, to undertake, and uh, I think with our with our club, our away fans, we've got a really fervent away support. We'll probably bring at least a thousand to Charlton tomorrow, even though it's uh, midweek and we won't get back till three in the morning. But there are there are definitely questions being asked. You know, it's still hard to justify, isn't it? When when you look at your electricity, gas bills, and and what you're getting for some of these teams. Oh, it's it's complete nonsense, and I worry I worry that that is what the violence is being caused by. It's not being trapped. It's the fact that when your team has lost, you, you think, oh, my God, I could have spent £50 on my energy bill. And these players don't want it. They don't have the passion or the commitment. Whereas with um, Exeter's players, they're being paid by the people who show up. Yes, it's, it's a wonderfully empowering feeling where, you know, I, let's be honest, I have seen an awful lot of poor, poor games over the years, but... You know that they know. In fact, we even have <laughs> we even have when somebody wins a fifty fifty lottery, there um, they are um, encouraged uh, very strongly to give part of that back, and that goes into paying one of the, the wages of one of the players as well. So you know, you there is a, a specific way that we help pay the players, particularly the academy, because that's our lifeblood, and it's, it's it's a wonderful feeling because even if it's been a terrible game, and there's been not been many this season, but even when we, we failed to beat um, Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers, 
we still felt we knew the, the players had given everything. You know, they genuinely had, they knew they were playing for us. And that's that. That's all. I'm not saying it's unique, obviously, because there are records of Stanley. You've got Newport County as well that are fan owned, but it's, it's very rare, Jonathan. Mm. Uh, there is one book above all others that um, is popular among Exeter City fans Simon Carter mm-hmm. and the Gus Honeybun. Story. Do you uh, remember? So, so you won't have remembered Gus yeah. Honeybun at all because you grew up elsewhere. I do remember because I remember that the woman with Gus Honeybun. This is going way back now. She's on this morning, isn't she? She's married to the Irish presenter. Oh, um, really? Damon Holmes. Yes, yeah, she was. The, she was there with Gus Honeybun at the beginning of her career Ruth on Langsford. TSW. Ruth Langsford, yeah. Yes, that's it. Ruth Langford, as was, um, and she, she she was part of the double act when we used to come back in the. The summers, or it might have even been when I first came down to Devon X amount of years ago. Um, yeah, she was she was the other half of the double act. But yeah, oh, Gus Honeybun, my goodness me. I can still, you've got me getting that song in my head now already, Jonathan. Josh Widdicombe is very good about Gus Honeybun and the, the glories of yes. football and, and television in the, the South West. Um, um, will you be watching the World Cup? Uh, no, good. I won't be. Um, I was in uh, Qatar in 2010 with a team I work for, and we beat them. And it was six months before the decision was made and they gave us chapter and verse about what they'd done. Uh, it will be coming out in a book next year. And uh, to say I'm appalled is an understatement and it has no interest to me at all, Jonathan. It's just disgusting, absolutely yes. disgusting. Yes. So now I'll be watching Exeter City Women. I'll be watching uh, my local team, Exeter Town. But uh, the last thing I'll be doing is watching that uh, parade of... Uh, disgrace yes and for those who don't know the football library is closing its doors for the world cup not in protest but that it did choose up everything football wise uh instead go and read kit and caboodle which is about sociology in the football shirt with proceeds uh going to local charities and her game Two: a manifesto for change uh, which is available on pitch at 14.99 not one book from matt riley but two i imagine even gus honeybun will applaud you.